today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Ben makes makes a couple of fantastic points there. It, it's it's all about uh, embedding financial solutions um, at the point and time of need for a customer. And so it's that's relevant for financial institutions. You could find yourself in a, in a flow where as a customer, you're giving somebody traditional personal financial management advice, but now you're making that advice even more actionable by seamlessly blending those things together and embedding all the other solutions that are necessary, as opposed to just giving them the advice and then letting the customer have, figure out over time what action to take. But it's also relevant for players who traditionally haven't really been involved in financial services directly because they're offering other products and services and at that specific point in time, at that specific um, point of need, customers naturally also have a need for financial services. Tired of the complicated and slow process of reviewing small business financials? Lenders, banks, and fintechs can access and analyze information in only seconds using Forward AI's direct integrations with industry-leading accounting, banking, and commerce software. Visit forwardai.com to see a demo or get API keys today. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. 47% of professionals in the U.S. are considering investing in and launching embedded finance offerings. That's according to a new report produced by Plaid and Accenture Research. A majority of non-financial companies are using partners, buying, or licensing technology as part of an embedded finance strategy. Plaid's COO, Eric Sager, joins Ben Brown, cross-industry financial services lead at Accenture, on the podcast today to talk about embedded finance, what competitive trends are at work, where embedded finance is headed, and what it takes to be a winner in the space as new brands move into banking and finance. We'll start with Eric. Um, so you guys are out with, with some new research that, that you that you worked on, you collaborated on together, both firms collaborated on together. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the research and what, and what prompted it? Absolutely. Um, one of the things we were seeing was more and more non-financial companies reaching out to us, um, looking to embed digital financial solutions. Um, mm -hmm. And as we as we as we saw that increasing interest from what you would think of as traditional non-financial players, so not fintechs, not institutions, etc., we felt like partnering with Accenture would be a fantastic opportunity to to help those players understand the space a bit better, help them understand the, their respective strategies in light of digital finance. And um, crucially, also leverage Accenture's fantastic expertise and able to being able to help implement those types of solutions as well. And Ben, what about on your end? It was was this a topic you guys um, were familiar with? Absolutely. I mean, this opportunity really dovetailed into a lot of activity that we're seeing in the market, both across our internal research and thought leadership, as well as our client conversations. This this actually this embedded finance topic is really an evolution of the you know, financial partnership space that we've worked on for many years, you know, both Accenture and entities that have become part of Accenture, like for Annapolis, have worked on financial partnerships for you know, 20 plus years. And that means co-brand cards and fintech, uh, enabling fintech startups. And so we've really seen that increase recently. And it's actually been part of our own thought leadership as well. So uh, earlier this year in our uh, 2021 commercial banking top trends, one of the, the key trends was that every business uh, can be or is a fintech business. And so we were thrilled to work together with Plaid on this research. 
Yeah, and at Tearsheet, we love this topic as well because it's something that um, informs a lot of our coverage over the past couple of years. Um, I guess now's a good time to talk about um, how you define embedded finance uh, for this piece and, and how you think about it in general. Absolutely. You know, I think there's two ways to think about what is embedded finance. You know, one, one school of thought is that embedded finance is the distribution or offering of financial services by traditionally non-financial companies. But I think an even broader definition that makes sense is that it's the contextual distribution of financial services, whether that is uh, by a non-financial company or a bank or an insurance company, you know, tying together uh, financial services with the life moments that they're meant to enable, which we talk about in the paper, and offering these seamless experiences to you know, enable some of those life moments. That's how we really think about embedded finance. So, so what's, um, I just want to drill down a little bit deeper into that. So what, what are the, what do you think is the difference between the two definitions is, is the second and the one you prefer, is that more, or is that less FI centric and more focused on the actual um, benefits of embedded finance? Well, I think the first, the second definition is more inclusive, really, because the first definition says embedded finance is something that only non-financial companies can offer. But actually, you know, I think this is a trend that both financial institutions and non-financial companies can participate in, mm -hmm. either through partnerships or through a more intimate understanding of their consumer and, you know, their intent and needs and uh, presenting the right offers to them at the right time and really operating, you know, when and where, you know, they're already spending their time which was actually a subheading for the paper, right? Financial services, when and where your consumers needed. Got it. And and Eric, do you have something to add to that? Like, you know, how, how does Plaid think about embedded finance and 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 why you think it's important? I mean, Ben makes makes a couple of fantastic points there. It, it's it's all about uh, embedding financial solutions um, at the point and time of need for a customer. And so it's, that's relevant for financial institutions. You could find yourself in a, in a flow where as a customer, you're giving somebody traditional personal financial management advice, but now you're making that advice even more actionable by seamlessly blending those things together and embedding all the other solutions that are necessary, as opposed to just giving them the advice and then letting the customer have, figure out over time what action to take. But it's also relevant for players who traditionally haven't really been involved in financial services directly because they're offering other products and services and at that specific point in time, at that specific um, point of need, customers naturally also have a need for financial services. And so there's companies in the, in the, in the buy now, pay later space who, who've continued to pioneer this. You, you, you're trying to buy something right when you're trying to buy it is actually the point of need for a consumer to decide whether or not they want to fund it by you know, paying with a credit card or by doing a, uh, a buy now, pay later, not later on. And so that's what you're seeing across the, across the industry is everybody kind of gravitating to that specific kind of point in time where a customer is kind of facing the need and trying to provide the best, most seamless solutions for them then. I, I, lo I love that explanation also. It means that there's no, you know, you're reducing sort of secondary customer journeys that require, you know, that financial firms have required before, you know, to be able to apply or to fill out some type of form where it's right there in the moment of the need. It's it's so powerful, that, that combination. Um, Eric, while, while we've got you, um, you know, I know data underlies all of this. And um, I know Plaid has, has, has spoken a lot about um, 
enabling this type of work, embedded finance, like where do you think we are, I guess, in the, in the global rollout of embedded finance, if there's, there's no, I know there's nothing so formal, but like, where do you think we are in sort of this evolution? I mean, to use an American analogy, we're still in the, in in the early innings. Uh, Uh There's still a lot of, um, a lot of room to to grow and, and kind of develop these solutions. None more so than on, again, really truly kind of making the transition as, as seamless as possible. And, and part of that is, as you said, relies on, on the kind of the data underlying this. But as a consumer, the best experience actually is I go, do, I go, try, I go and do something and I'm not just presented with the, the hypothetical option. I'm presented with a certainty that if I click A versus B versus C, I can actually go down that path. And so data is what makes that possible. Traditionally, you know, let's say you wanted to apply for a credit card or you wanted to apply for a loan or, or any number of actions, you didn't actually know for sure that you were going to get approved, for example, right? And so as a, as a customer, you're being forced down a flow that still has an uncertain outcome. The, the better the data gets, the, the better the, the kind of connectivity, um, the more likely it is that, um, you know, developers and others that work with Plaid can actually provide you certainty as a customer at the very beginning. So before you ever actually have to take any action or spend any time or create any friction for yourself, you're already certain of the outcome by going through it because you've made that data available. And so that's a fantastic outcome for consumers because it gives them certainty before they ever have to go invest their precious time in in going down one of those paths. I love that because we can all relate to, you know, filling, filling, going down some path or application towards some product and only, only at the end, you know, frustratingly at the end, uh, yeah, yeah, you feel like what a waste of time you've just been like kind of suckered in, you know, I've been there myself. You you go through, you fill it all out. And then at the end you're told no, or you're told that the rate that was advertised actually doesn't apply to you. It's now a much higher rate. And we can, we can take a lot of those things out of the flow and help our, help our partners and, and, and customers take a lot of those things out by just having the data be available at, at the beginning and being able to much more, with much higher degree of certainty, um, give, give customers really, really great options. Nothing like a pre-approved offer. Um, so, so, Ben, what, what do you think about that? Where, where are we in sort of the rollout of embedded finance? Yeah, I'd love to build on what Eric said there uh, by using an example from other uh, a couple other players in the market. You know, one of the things that was part of Credit Karma's vision, for example, was that you could go from having this credit score that, you know, was kind of a proxy for what kind of products you qualified for to really seeing that if a, if a financial product is presented to you through their interface, you have a very high degree of confidence or even almost certainty that you're going to be able to access that product. And I think embedded finance is, you know, and even an evolution of that, that has risk benefits for the financial institutions involved, as well as customer experience benefits. Uh, Like we talked about, you know, you're able to put these things together into the, the customer experience. And then you're also able to see what the funds are being used for. And if we, you know, roll back the clock, you know, 10 years in some cases, you know, I think personal loans were pretty popular and people could use them for all kinds of use cases, but they were very distinct from those use cases. And financial institutions didn't really know that you were using the funds for that purpose. And I think by connecting the lending experience into the commerce experience, as Eric talked about with buy now, pay later companies, you know, you can see exactly what is being purchased 
And, you know, that's a big benefit. And the data that enables that can feed right into risk systems, which can improve, uh, you know, both the presentation of offers to the circumstances when they're relevant and when people are likely to be approved for them, um, but also helping the financial institutions understand what's being purchased and what those funds are being used for. And so I think it's really interesting that embedded finance has benefits not only from a customer experience perspective, which is hugely important, of course, but it also has benefits from a risk management perspective that uh, democratizes access to financial services uh, more uh, than they are today. I like, I like that example. And um, yeah, maybe underappreciated as well. Um, so Ben, how do, extrapolating the, you know, the research, you know, few years into the future, like who's, I guess, how do we define winning? Who's going to succeed in this type of environment? And, and, you know, I guess, how do you define winning in this environment as well? Well, I think, you know, winning is driven by, you know, meeting customer needs well. And if you can meet customer needs well, then that's going to drive growth and hopefully, you know, ideally that is high quality growth with quality revenues that are profitable, uh, that are efficient to service uh, those customers that have low loss rates. And so I think there's, like we talked about, um, you know, embedded finance enables broader access to financial services. And I think that is gonna be a benefit for everyone in the ecosystem, primarily consumers, the consumers who were, you know, off limits from some of these uh, financial services offerings, either because, you know, they didn't qualify or because they were just complicated. And that's a point that we make in the paper. Financial services are complicated. They're complicated totally. to understand as a consumer. They're complicated to offer as a company. They're complicated to manage once you've, you know, put money out into the market or issued a bank account or anything like that, issued a credit card. Um, and hopefully the partnerships and collaboration that embedded finance, uh, you know, relies upon and enables uh, helps to make that a little bit less complicated across the spectrum, a little bit easier for consumers to understand these products, a little bit easier for, you know, non-traditional players to enter the ecosystem and to help make it better uh, and a little bit easier for, you know, financial institutions to provide access to those products and to, to service customers and to understand who their customers are and what they're doing. So overall, when we talk about who's winning with embedded finance, you know, I think there's a, a potential for, I think the consumers are definitely going to win. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's a potential for everyone in the ecosystem to win by expanding the pie. And we really think of it that way. This is not necessarily an event where you have a fixed size market and it's going to shift between incumbents and newcomers. You know, we really think that both banks and non-financial companies can win uh, by growing their businesses and improving the quality of revenues if they lean into this trend. At the same time, companies that stick with playing by the old rules you know, could experience some negative headwinds. Yeah, I guess implicit in my question was who who might lose? And I guess, uh, you know, whether this was a zero-sum game or not, and it sounds like from everything that you're saying that the, the pie gets bigger and there's opportunities now for new players. It may take share, but the overall pie is, is, is growing as well. Yeah, it definitely isn't a zero, it definitely isn't a zero sum game. And, and and Ben makes a very important point on the consumer side. Consumers are absolutely going to win in this. Consumers suddenly have um, options that they really didn't have before in terms of a lot of innovative 
um, solutions that are presented to them at the point of need. They will, they already, and will continue to have more choice than ever before. And then as we already spoke about, they have more certainty and less friction in being able to take advantage of those solutions. And, and all those things are, are really, really, really positive um, for, for consumers. And then for, for everybody else kind of building these solutions, there's a lot of upside uh, as well, right? For, for businesses that are traditionally kind of more in the financial services space, they continue to be able to improve their solutions. They, they continue to be able to provide potentially kind of a larger surface area of solutions to, to the customer relationships that they already have. And for folks who traditionally haven't been um, as involved in providing financial solutions, they benefit by improving their entire experience. You know, think about Uber as one of the, 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 the kind of the big companies that has really kind of pioneered embedding you know, financial services kind of at the point of, at the point of need. And it makes the Uber experience better, right? Or for Starbucks, it makes the Starbucks experience better. And, and that will continue to be true where even excluding all the benefits that you're, you're potentially getting as, as, a, as a company or as a consumer, you're actually making other non-financial experiences better by more closely embedding and, and marrying financial solutions with them. And then there's the added benefit of, in many ways, you can actually, as a, as a, as a, um, as a developer, as a, as a company, you can, you can monetize um, suddenly your customer relationship through embedding these financial solutions in a way that is very standard, very well accepted. Um, and it makes your business more profitable, allows you to invest more in kind of your other experiences, and as such creates an even better consumer experience. And that's a very virtuous cycle. And so the only folks that I see losing at the end of the day are actually um, those players that are slow to explore and adopt some of these solutions. So if, if, if you don't have the capability to kind of partner in this space and find new and innovative ways to embed financial solutions into your flow, but your competitors, even in areas that are non-financial, do, it's very easy to see how they will get a leg up on you because they're both creating a better end-to-end customer experience and they're able to kind of monetize those relationships in a more effective way, which in turn puts them in a stronger position. Can you believe that in 2021, some lenders are still using spreadsheets and PDFs to review small business financials? With Forward AI, lenders, banks, and fintechs can say goodbye to a manual review process and say hello to streamlined client onboarding. By using direct integrations to accounting, banking, and commerce platforms, coupled with automated financial analysis and fraud detection, you can treat your small business clients better. Visit forwardai.com to see a demo or get API keys today. Eric, you know, if we are in the early innings, these American idiom, um, you know, we're going to see an increasing number of players uh, and players from further outside financial services moving in into the game. Um, I guess, given your perspective and the, and the research, you know, I, I'm curious about the mechanism that they make a dis- that companies make a decision to start participating and start offering embedded financial services. Like, what does that look like? How are how are some companies making that decision? Generally, the first step is they identify um, a particular point um, of need. And so they have a flow, they, they recognize that there is a kind of financial component to this that would enhance the ex- customer experience. And then the second step is, okay, how do you provide a, a, a best-in-class solution? And in some cases, that means building it themselves. And so they'll approach us and, and, and work with, with someone like Plaid and, and so forth. The second option is you partner with an existing player, whether that's a fintech or a, a kind of another um, financial solutions provider. 
And then the, the third is you kind of outsource that development to um, you know, a, a third party. Generally, the first two um, we've seen players have the most success with, um, both in terms of building their own first party solutions, but also if you see the relationship that Apple, for example, has with, with Goldman and others, um, other players like really partnering with established players in the financial services ecosystem to, to be able to bring these solutions to market. And Ben, I'm curious on your, given your perspective, you know, how, how do you see companies or what's the optimal way to actually start approaching and creating a, a, and rolling out an embedded finance strategy? Yeah, let me take that in two parts, Zach. So first I want to build on something Eric said um, around the, the different ways to come to the market and, you know, option three, which he said, you know, isn't as successful as outsourcing uh, the kind of complete experience to a partner. And as I mentioned earlier, at Accenture, we've helped companies for you know, 20 plus years, actually, to uh, you know, establish co-brand credit cards, private label credit cards, other kinds of financial products like that. And we see exactly the same thing, that even you know, in those mature types of partnerships, a key to success is that the brand partner, you know, the non-financial company, has to be willing to lean in. You know, even if they're not taking responsibility for technology or compliance or servicing, you know, one of the success factors is being creative about activating their brand assets, whether that's their you know, stores or their website or messaging to customers. And it's why you see, for example, every time you take a flight, you, know, you hear the airline uh, flight attendants talking about their credit card offers. Uh, and that's one really creative way that those companies are able to, you know, activate their channels when they have, you know, in some ways a captive audience. You know, we can be sure we're going to hear the in-flight safety briefing and the credit card pitch as well, um, for better or for worse. Um, and I think that's a great example of how companies have to be committed to embedded finance. It can't just be a me too proposition, like almost everything. It's not a you know field of dream situation where build it and then leave it on the shelf and they will come. You have to you know, figure out why you're doing this. You have to find the right partners or, you know, commit to building out those capabilities in-house. And you have to, on an ongoing basis, be creative, you know, make investments and think about how to differentiate these offerings in the marketplace. And if you do that, you know, these offerings can be enormously uh, uh, important. And one, one um, you know, anecdote that we keep in mind uh, among our team is that during the um, during the Great Recession, and actually even during post 9/11, when the airline industry, you know, effectively travel volumes went to nothing, as they did during COVID as well, you know, airline companies, airlines actually almost became flying credit card companies. I mean, the majority of their net profit was generated by their credit card portfolios because it wasn't being generated by people not traveling on those expensive planes they were you know, paying to maintain on the runway. And it's a really interesting example of how material these partnerships and products can be, but also you know, how they help to diversify revenues and for some companies help them survive through, through tough times. Well, it, it sounds like it's even more than um, diversifying revenues. If, if done right, like you have such an old industrial industry like, like airlines, it's almost like the flying is, is a, a predecessor. It's really a lead in or it's, it's the hook to get people on the financial to become financial customers. It's the giveaway right. in a way, right? 
I mean, in, in, in tough times, it is. Yeah, I will say that the you know, yeah. credit card, the credit cards drive all of the revenue for that industry in good times. I mean, in good times, it's a, it's an attractive industry to be in. But uh, we've certainly seen examples in the past where, you know, during downturns in travel volumes, those credit card portfolios have been quite important. And that's not exclusive to travel. I mean, though traditionally travel has been one of the sectors where uh, credit card partnerships have worked the best. You know, you see retail card partnerships uh, all over the place, whether those are co-brand cards or private label cards, where, you know, sometimes two thirds of the retailer's sales are actually flowing through those branded payment products because it helps them to reduce their cost of payments. It provides customers with financing options and uh, it, it, it can empower loyalty schemes at the same time. But that's just a perspective from some of the more mature parts of the embedded sure. financer or partnership side of the business. So, so as we're getting to, to the end of the conversation, I'm curious, um, given the research you guys just published and, and your and different perspectives on the industry, um, I guess your vision for what banking and finance looks like in the future as related to embedded finance. Ben, can you go first? Yeah, actually, Zach, I'd love to go back and, and provide another answer for your last question. And uh, yeah, can let's rewind. Prompt on that one again. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the other one was about um, how companies are making decisions to pursue an embedded finance strategy. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And actually, in the paper, we outline a number of different keys to success to make sure that you have um, successful embedded finance strategies and that you know, your exploration or investments in this space are, are going to be directed in the right direction. There's actually, you know, six or seven different keys to success and questions for both financial institutions and non-financial companies to ask themselves, both before they embark on committing to invest in embedded finance and then as they go about the journey. And I'll, I'll, I'll highlight a couple of them. I mean, first, as we talked about a couple of times in the conversation today, it starts with the customer. And companies have to look at the prospect of investing in embedded finance and say, you know, is this going to create value for my customers and solve pain points for them? And understanding why, why you're approaching this space as well, you know, and being honest about that. Is it to solve customer pain points? Is it to create new revenue streams? Is it to, you know, deepen or improve your core business? Because that can provide a North Star for the way that you think about which products am I going to offer, how am I going to offer them, how much am I going to invest in them, all of those kind of things. And then also, you know, we talk in the paper about the need to really understand this space. Embedded finance um, helps to simplify uh, the, let me start that one again. So the embedded finance ecosystem including some of the players like Plaid that are, that are enabling it, help to simplify the offering of financial products, but it's still a very complicated space. And I think that companies that are looking to enter it, you know, really have to get smart on how these products work, you know, what some of the pros and cons and risks are, even if they're not going to take all that in, on themselves in-house, but understanding you know, why part partners might make certain decisions and go about things a certain way. And then finally, if they, you decide to follow a partnership path to enable embedded finance, picking those partners carefully, because in many ways, it can be like a marriage. You're getting into it for a long term. And uh, these uh, partnerships are not something that are six-month or one-year uh, deals. Often, they're, they're three, five, seven-plus-year deals. And 
know, sometimes out in the industry, we see these things last for 10 or 20 plus years when uh, partners are in the same wavelength and work well together. Yeah, I know, I know um, having a lot of guests on the show talking about their their partnerships, many of them go in, like, as you said, thinking about the long term, it is they are trying to build a long term relationship. And, and that's a lot of a lot of the screening and the criteria that they look for in, in terms of identifying the correct partner is, is along those lines as well. Um, so, so given everything we, we've talking about, we've talked about, um, I'm curious about been about your perspective on how this all plays out, like extrapolating, you know, into the future. What does the future of finance and banking look like as embedded finance enables more players to, to, to compete? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And uh, none of us have a crystal ball, though, uh, you know, maybe consultants sometimes pretend they do. But I think we're all working together to you know, build the future uh, together. And that's how we approach things at Accenture is, you know, collaborating together with clients to, you know, drive innovation. Um, but to answer your question, you know, how does the future of the financial services business look? You know, based on where we sit today, I think it's, um, you know, it's a more diverse ecosystem. And this is one uh, of many trends, one of many examples in the trend towards the continuing convergence of industries accelerated by new types of technology and infrastructure. Um, but this trans transformation could be more complicated than some of the others uh, that we're seeing across the landscape due to the complexities of financial solutions. You know, embedded finance requires education and preparation. It requires a commitment to the data security, privacy, understanding the regulations that are involved, and companies that take their time to you know, clearly define their business goals and invest in creative propositions that align with their brand are more likely to be successful at offering customers financial solutions, you know, where and when they need them. But we definitely think that embedded finance is going to uh, create a more diverse uh, and eclectic financial services ecosystem in the past. Financial institutions are, are still absolutely going to be a part of it. And as we talked about earlier, this is more about expanding the size of the pie than shifting share between existing players or existing players and new players. Uh, but I think if you look five years out or 10 years out, you're definitely going to see some new names in the space. And some of the players that are making early bets today are likely to you know, persist in the space. And it'll be really interesting to see how technology companies, software and platform companies, um, and other kinds of digital entrants are using embedded finance to both grow and to better solve customer needs. And Eric, what about you? Are you know? Do you, is your vision for the future that uh, both consumers and, and businesses will will bank with the the brands that they have affinity to that they love in the future? I mean, the short answer is I think the future is bright for for consumers. It will mean better experiences, more choice. And also better terms. Um, I think sometimes folks forget um, just the benefits that have accrued to consumers on, on that front. And you, you like a good example of that, for example, and, and this is a trend that will only continue. A good example is on the investing side. Right? You, you had players that came in with kind of zero cost trading. And now the entire industry is essentially kind of adopting that as a standard. And so the beauty of that is that as a consumer, you don't even have to switch providers to benefit from a lot of these things. Right. And actually just stick with whoever you're right. working with. It might take a little bit longer, but eventually all these benefits actually accrue to you and you don't even have to do anything. 
Never mind, as we said earlier, all the work that's going into making it easier and easier for consumers um, to have certainty um, as they go in and as they make a decision, for example, to share their data to be able to get some of these products, they're not being asked to share it and then not know the outcome. They're being able to, to kind of share it while the outcome is much, much more certain than it ever has been before. And there's many examples like that. But the bottom line is consumers, I think, are are really in a, in a position to kind of to win big um, coming out of all of this. But at the same time, those players that are able to successfully embed these solutions into their flows are also going to win. Um, and they're going to win whether they were, you know, they're traditional financial players or they're going to win if they traditionally haven't played in that space. Because again, they're able to enhance their existing experience. It actually just makes their existing product um, experience better. And they're able to find an additional kind of source of, of revenue and, and then kind of growth to kind of help reinvest um, in, in the business as well. And so those are all really, really positives. I don't think that comes without challenges. Um, and so certainly at Plaid, we're, we're, we're really focused on, you know, providing kind of the infrastructure and everything else necessary for, for these types of solutions, not only to exist in the first place, but crucially to also scale to where they can really benefit, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of, hundreds of millions of people. Um, and so that's that you put those things together and we're looking at a very bright and exciting future in this space. Eric, Ben, great talking to you guys today. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast. Thank you so much, Zach. Thanks, Zach.